to 321 I Relaunch, the podcast where we discuss strategies, advice, and success stories for returning to work after a career break. I'm Carol Fishman Cohen, the chair and co founder of I Relaunch, and your host for today. Today, we are thrilled to have Mary Beth Barrett Newman, president of Second Career Consulting and a longtime I Relaunch career coach. Mary Beth, and I have known each other for years. Um, She is also an active uh, moderator of our iRelaunch private Facebook group where we have well over 2,800 relaunchers. And she has been a regular speaker at our iRelaunch Return to Work conferences. So we're thrilled to have her here today. Hi, Mary Beth. Hi, Carol. It's great to be here. Yes, and we're thrilled to have you because we are going to be talking about getting deeper into interview questions and how to answer the toughest ones. Great. We covered on, yes, we covered on a past podcast um, the topic of prepping for interviews and the first rounds of interviews, but we really want to get into now the later rounds of interviews where you may be having a salary or compensation negotiation. You may be asked behavioral uh, interview questions, we'll touch on case interviews, and maybe even getting into situations where you have to make a presentation or there's some much bigger demand on you, the relauncher who is the interviewee. So let's dive in and start with this whole topic of salary and compensation. Uh, And can you, before we even get into uh, discussion and even a role play on some of these salary and compensation um, conversations, can you talk to us about the mindset that the relauncher should have going into one of these deeper conversations about salary and sort of, you know, everyone is gets that advice don't be the first one to say a number let the employer do it but the employer doesn't want to say a number and just is there any way you should be thinking about this topic before you even get into the conversation sure well i think you're right you're absolutely right that it becomes this conversation that everybody feels super uncomfortable about but the earlier you can have at least a preliminary conversation with a potential employer, the better. So, for example, if you are looking for um, a salary, let's say, in the range of you know $90,000, and you're thinking that the position you're applying to is in that range, only to find out three interviews in that it's at a $50,000 range, you know, that was a waste of time for everybody. So, you know, hopefully, and, and many employers do this very early on in the screening, they'll talk about, you know, what are you looking for from a salary range? And I think it's very important for you to feel confident in your worth and in what the value is of um, the types of jobs that you're that you're looking for. And there's some great resources out there today to help you uh, do the research to find, you know, that kind of information. Can you give us some specific examples of resources that people should be consulting? Sure. Um, so glassdoor.com is a really great one. Um, it's a, uh, it, probably many people who are listening to this are familiar with it, but it's where you can, especially for larger organizations, look at specific jobs and find out kind of a range of salaries that people in those jobs are uh, are 
are earning. Um, you can also look uh, and do a search by industry to see what are other employers that are either geographically located near you or in the same industry as the employer you're talking to, uh, to really have a feel for what it's what it's worth. And salary.com is another is another online resource. And in addition to those kinds of resources, I think one of the obvious resources that people overlook are your network and people that you know. And it, people feel uncomfortable talking about this, but it's not like you would be asking somebody, tell me what you make, but asking them things like in your company, you know, what does somebody who's a senior analyst make? You know, what would be a range that I could expect? And so you're just doing some research and finding out, you know, the current market value for the types of positions that you're that you're interviewing for. And also making sure that you are differentiating and learning about the difference between maybe sal salary versus total comp, because in some organizations, maybe that position is only salary, and in another organization, maybe it's a salary plus bonus. Uh, and what about, like, how would you know if there could possibly be a signing bonus involved or, you know, negotiating something where they say, look, we can't really give you any compensation outside this band, outside this range, but then you could potentially introduce well, I understand why the salary range has to stay um, with, you know, in, in a, however it's dictated. But maybe could we talk about a signing bonus or some other way where I could earn the additional income that I'm looking to get that I think is commensurate with my background? You know, I've seen employers get incredibly creative um, and in in compensating people. And, you know, I totally understand having been a hiring manager in my corporate days that, you know, you can't have people that are outside the norm. But when you are at a situation or a point in a, in a situation where you really want to hire somebody, um, you can, you can do, you know, creative things to make it work. And so, for example, it can be anything from, like you mentioned, a, a signing bonus. It can be um, maybe a guarantee of a first year bonus that in future years is not going to be guaranteed. It can be additional vacation time. Um, you know, there's lots of, uh, it can be some flexibility, you know, and there's a value to all of those kinds of things, both to you as a potential employee and also the employer. So do you recommend maybe listing all the different possibilities of the different components of compensation out on some list like this signing bonus, the guaranteed late bonus, um, certain amount of extra vacation, maybe paying for parking, some sort of transportation vouchers? Um, I, I don't know. I, I, I Phone and computer. I, I don't know what the other categories are, but is that something that you recommend people kind of have that all in front of them and have it in their heads that we're talking way more than pure salary here and there are different ways to get a package maybe that will make you um, comfortable with the with your compensation overall? Yeah, sure. You know, and I think that, um, you know, it's good to have sort of that list there, but you have to be a little careful in in um, I guess your expectations and 
in, um, you know, how an employer is going to react to certain things. So, for example, I always talk to clients in advance of getting an offer, like to be prepared for that offer. And what are you going to say when they call and say, Carol, we're really excited and we want to offer you a position as a senior analyst, you know, at X dollars that Mm. you don't go, oh, great, thank you, and say yes right away, right? That, you know, I say this is Let's let's talk about, you know, what how are you going to react to them? The first thing is you do express your excitement, but you don't give them a yes yet. You say, you know, you want everything in writing, um, which they should be doing anyways. And typically they want to do it via phone and then they'll follow up and making sure you get everything in writing, meaning you're getting the benefit plans um in writing, you're getting a summary of all the other kinds of um, vacation time and bonus programs and, um, you know, any kind of job flexibility. And, you know, you're getting it all in writing so that you can then look at it as a whole and not individual components. Because when you go back to negotiate and everything's negotiable, even if you've been out of the workforce for 15 years, everything's negotiable, um, you know, go back to that employer one time, not piecemeal, because that is very irritating from an employer standpoint, but go back one time and say, you know, I was really, you offered me, you know, 85 and I was really hoping to get in the low nineties. Is there anything you can do to, you know, to, to increase your offer? Um, And, you know, and, and sometimes they'll say no. Sometimes they'll say, let me go back and see what I can do. And I almost always, they will do something to try to, to up it. If not, you know, that, that, that tells you something as well. But there's also a value to, you know, maybe you have 25 days of PTO, paid time off. You know, that's big. Maybe, um, you know, they pay, you know, a significant portion of the employee's part of the health insurance. You know, that's big. So having the whole formula, so to speak. So you're not looking at individual components, but the whole thing to say, you know, you can sometimes end up with a bigger compensation package, even if you have a slightly smaller salary. So can you just say, what do you actually say to the person when they they say, we're thrilled to offer you this job and we're offering it to you at 90,000 and you want to express your excitement, but you want it in writing. How do you respond? Like, like if I like pretend you're the actual respondee and um, without sounding like a jerk, like, like, (laughs) and and also aren't they, are most companies lowballing that first offer anyway, because they expect people to come back and negotiate it? Uh, not really, to be honest. I mean, I think they're giving you, I, I think they're giving you a good solid offer, but there tends to be some wiggle room. That's mm-hmm. how I look at it. Yep. You know, not a huge amount, but a, a little bit of wiggle room. So if you were to say, you know, go ahead and do the role play with me and I'll, I'll answer you. Okay. Um, so, um, Mary Beth, we're thrilled to offer you the financial analyst role and it, the salary is going to be $90,000. Carol, thank you so much. I am really excited about this offer. I have just genuinely been impressed with the organization and all the people I've had the opportunity to spend some time with. Um, I'm assuming that you will put this in writing and that I, so I will be able to see, um, really the whole, the whole picture, um, as far as like the benefits from the organization and, um, you know, the bonus program that you mentioned to me. 
uh, when we when we last spoke. Um, if you could put that all in writing and just send it to me so I could have a clear picture of the whole thing, then, you know, I'll be able to get back to you, you know, shortly after receiving that. But again, I'm just really excited about this potential opportunity to work with your team. Um, but Mary Beth, can we just get a confirmation and a commitment on the 90000 Because I need to be able to go back to um, the hiring manager on that piece of it. You know, as much as I would like to, I really feel like I'm not doing my appropriate due diligence, um, Carol, unless I really see the whole the whole thing. So uh, to be honest, the sooner, you know, you can get something to me, then the sooner I can I can get back to you. Okay, good. I just threw that extra one at you (laughs) because I thought actually I can see there are some companies that want to do that. They want to move it along. Their hiring manager is going to say, okay, did the person commit? And they'll have to come back and say, well, you know, they, they want to see the whole thing. And then they know they have to respond and they should be prepared to do that. That's only fair. But um, it was mm-hmm. really good to hear how you handled that exchange because, you know, we, we should talk about that, that possibility in the conversation. Um, what about a little earlier on, how do you manage it when, um, they say, well, what kind of salary range are you expecting? Or, or we're looking to pay people in the 70,000 to 90,000 um, range. Um, does, is, does that fall within the acceptable range or where in that range would um, sounds reasonable to you? Or, or what are you expecting? Like, how do you handle that if they give you a range? And how do you handle it if they just say, what range are you expecting? Well, I, I think, you know, one of the things is you don't want to, you know, put all your cards on the table too soon, right? Because yeah. as a former hiring manager, you know, if I can hire somebody for 80 instead of 90, I just saved $10,000 on my budget, right? right. So, um, uh, you know, I, I know that I know that mindset. Um, so, you, again, you don't want to put everything on the table, but you want to make sure that you're aligned with the organization and you don't have a big a big mismatch. So, you know, if they were to say to me, you know, Mary Beth, you know, what are you, what are you looking for? Um, I would say something back to them, you know, based on my understanding of the responsibilities of this position we're discussing, you know, I would be looking in the, you know, the, the mid to high eighties, you know, is that in your salary range? Mm-hmm. And I would throw it back to them. And then they would typically say, yes, it is. And that's the end of that initial discussion. Or they might say, boy, no, this is a, you know, we were thinking 50 to 60,000. And then you have an opportunity to have a conversation with them about that role, because maybe you really should be applying for a role that's higher, you know? So, I mean, mm-hmm. anytime you can have a conversation, I think that's a positive. Right. And it's always a trade off um, because, you know, there are some of us, some of us who are relaunching feel that some of us may actually target a role that was junior to what we left for a whole range of Mm -hmm. reasons. Um, You know, maybe Mm -hmm. we want a less stressful job or maybe we want a job that has elements of what we did before, but doesn't include a lot of travel or Mm -hmm. maybe we're changing um, to a whole new, uh, whole new area. We're relaunching an entirely new direction. We have to come in um, at more of an entry level. So, What's been interesting is this development. I know uh, I'm based in Massachusetts uh, uh, that they have, I think, Massachusetts, New York, California, a few other states now are passing these laws where the employer is not allowed to ask you what you made 
pre before because they're trying to um, eliminate um, prior salary disparities based on gender um, right. and just saying this is the range for the position no matter um, you know what you were paid before and that's actually extremely helpful to relaunchers because for those of us who've been out for a long time we may feel that whatever we were paid before is not relevant now or we can't correct for inflation or, you know, there's a whole range. We don't want to be out of the running because we made a lot before and we're really super interested in this new position, all of those scenarios. So any comments on that? No, I 100% agree that I think that, you know, I'm in Illinois, so, you know, we're not quite as progressive in, in many areas, <laughs> including that one. <laughs> um, and, uh, but, you know, I, I think it is, yeah, I think it's totally helpful to relaunchers because you're right. I mean, it, if I've been out of the workforce for 10 years, you know, there's an issue, right, as far as compensation, if I'm looking to do something different, you know, what I made before is probably not not relevant. And so it you don't want to get in that trap. So I think that, you know, um, I think I agree with you that I think that that legislation is definitely helpful. But at the same time, it is important for, you know, employers will always be asking you, what are you looking for? And that's still that's an OK question to ask. Mm -hmm. um, and then hopefully you find that you're both aligned and then you can, you know, move on and, and you know, get into the nitty gritty of the interview. Right. And that's where your research helps. You know, I've done a lot of research and, and from what I've heard, it feels like the industry range um, for this position is from X to Y and I'm comfortable in that range. Now, yeah. it's a little risky because you could be giving a range and maybe that particular employer uh, is pays a lot more. And, you know, you don't want to um, limit yourself um, or, or lock right. yourself into a lower range before the negotiations even get ever get going. But that's that's just, I don't know, a tough one in the ebb and flow of the conversation. So, yeah, agreed. And, you know, if you do enough research, you shouldn't be very far off. Okay. That, that's helpful. And there's so much, there's really good information on the internet. There's, um, I, I don't know if Fairy God Boss actually gets into salary information. Um, pay scale um, right. might have salary information. I thought even um, the government has this occupational, um, like, uh, guide. Yeah, it's ONET Online. Yes, ONET. ONET Online, which has different, um, you know, occupations and uh, different job titles, and they will break down salary by geography and things like that. You know, it's all kind of rule of thumb, though. You know, I mean, you need to, like, go to a number of different sources to make sure that you're looking at the same thing, because you can have titles, two titles that are exactly the same at two different companies, and they're paid dramatically different, right. uh, just because of the way companies will deal with titles. So, you know, be, be careful and do enough research, I think, is the is the bottom line. All right. Thank you. Uh, you are listening to 321 I Relaunch, the podcast where we talk about strategies, advice, and success stories for returning to work after a career break. I'm Carol Fishman-Cohen, the chair and co-founder of iRelaunch and your host today. And today we are in the middle of a conversation with Mary Beth Barrett Newman, president of Second Career Consulting. And we are talking about the toughest interview questions, much deeper into the interview process when you're in the second or third round. Uh, so we just had a long conversation about salary negotiation. And now I want to talk about a couple of the other kinds of questions that people get deeper into the process. And one of them is something called a behavioral question. Mary Beth, can you talk about what is a behavioral question and maybe give us an example of one? 
Sure. So behavioral interview questions are very, very typical in today's interview process. And they really can cover, you know, a variety of categories, anything from communication, people management, you know, client interactions, you know, really anything related to the job. And the goal from the interviewer's standpoint is to find out more about you and how you're going to react or how you're going to handle some different situations. So it's important for the person who's interviewing to have a number of prepared stories. Um, And I suggest using the SARS method, which is situation, action, result. And, you know, so you can go to those stories for the different kinds of, of questions. And the, the reason to use that kind of methodology is it, it helps keep, keep you on track when you're telling the story. And because sometimes we get nervous and we talk a little too much. And uh-huh. it also helps the listener because there's a beginning, a middle and an end to the story. So if I was to give like an example, for example, of a behavioral interview question, it might go something like this. Mary Beth, can you tell me about a time that you had a difficult team situation and how you handled it? Mm-hmm. And an answer I might give would be something like, yes, there was a time when I was leading a group of three other people and they were all located in different offices. And when I would email the group to get updates, I found that only one of the three would typically respond to me. And I really had to hound the other two to get responses. So not only was that incredibly frustrating, but it started to have a real impact on the project and we almost missed our deadline. So I ended up reaching out to the other two team members to discuss their communication styles and preferences. And I learned that they preferred texting versus email. So what I took away from that experience and what I incorporated in future projects was that at the beginning of every project, it was important for the whole team to discuss communication and to agree as a group how we would communicate with each other during the project. So that would be the answer I would give. And so what is somebody looking for in your answer is like, what did you, how did you handle something? What did you learn from it? And what are you implementing as a result of that learning? Right. And uh, are do these behavioral questions fall into categories? Is it like, is there any way that you could predict ahead of time a certain type of behavioral question? Like you're asking about, you know, a situation in and in, in which you, um, you know, if something wasn't going right and you had to correct it. Uh, like, are there sort of general categories where you could think of, oh, I know what I would say for that kind of behavioral question or this other kind of behavioral question? Or you know, I mean, there, there are certain there are certain categories, things like communication style, management style, um, dealing with a difficult client situation or an employee situation, um, you know, dealing with adversity, um, you know, not having enough data and having to make a decision. Uh, to be honest, you can just Google um, behavioral interview questions a- online and come up with, I mean, there's some really fabulous articles that will list like 50 behavioral interview questions. And mm-hmm. I mean, there's some mm-hmm. great resources out there. Oh, great. Okay. Of course, the internet. Yeah, right. 
<laughs> so that, that right from the beginning. And I guess the only thing I would add is um, because we advise this for interview questions in general is when you're thinking about your responses to these questions to actually write them out as a script and then practice saying them out loud um, because it's much different to sort of just think in your head how you might answer a question as opposed to actually saying it out loud. It's it's harder to say it out loud. I, I 100% agree. In fact, I always say in my head, my answers are succinct and eloquent, and then they come out of my mouth and it's yeah. like blah, blah, blah. So, you know, yeah. talk out loud. I mean, techn- we have all this great technology, your phone, your computer, you can, you know, you can record yourself, you can listen, you can do it over. And the more you practice out loud, the more comfortable you're going to be in person doing it. Mm-hmm. Great. Okay, so I just I want to make a brief comment on case interviews, because I myself, when I was relaunching, I had an 11 year career break. I was a financial analyst at an investment bank. When I went back to work, I went back to a another financial analysis job. It was at Bain Capital. And when I was going, that's an investment firm in their high yield debt management group. And when I was going through the interview process with them, I had to do several days worth of case interviews. So case interviews where they're, you know, telling, asking you how, what would you do if you were a manager in this company uh, facing this particular problem or having to make a strategy decision? And they were all over the map. And uh, the, I remember that I, was okay on some of them and not okay on others. And what they were trying to test, and tell me if you think this is wrong, but they're just trying to test how you work through a problem and what your thought process is. I I agree with that. It's really about like, can you think on your feet? You know, what's your thought process? And to be honest, sometimes the answer isn't quite as important as just like the how you broke down the problem and how you approached it. Yeah, it, it was like, um, you know, a uh, residential carpet company was thinking about going into the commercial market and, you know, in a particular um, area of the country and how should they analyze that market and think about whether they should go ahead or not and time that decision. Um, or, uh, you know, the early stages of Home Depot when they were really for the do-it-yourself community and they realized that they had missed an entire, they, they were getting revenues from an entirely different group um, that was not the individual homeowner. And they were surprised, but it turned out to be a big market for them. Who was that market? And, you know, it turned out to be these um, small contractors who were, um, you know, in business doing uh, uh uh, building, contracting work, or um, restoration, or, or any kind of um, work on homes and commercial buildings that were going into Home Depot uh, as as one of their suppliers. So uh, it's thinking through those kinds of situations, and I'm sure they differ depending on um, you know what kind of business it is. But uh, the one thing I will say is that there was one question where I felt like I, I mean, it was something to do with the steel industry. Um, and, and I remember thinking, oh, I'm just, this is the, I'm just not saying the right answer. And so I, I just obsessed over it on my way back home and I was driving back and I thought of the answer as I was driving home. So when I got home, I actually wrote to the guy who asked me the question. I said, you know, I've been thinking about this, our conversation the whole way home. I just realized this is what the answer was. And he actually told me that his 
um, I, his vote on me went for a no to, you, to a yes based on that. So it's kind of a no-lose situation if you think of the right answer um, later to get in touch with the person and tell them that answer or give them a more complete answer if it was incomplete. If they were going to ding you to begin with, they may still ding you. But if it's possible that that answer changes their mind, then why not throw it in? Yeah, I know. I 100% agree with that, Carol. And I think that that's a great um, example that, that you gave. So let's move on because we have a lot more to talk about in a small amount of time. Um, Can you talk about just examples of some great interview questions that have always stuck out for you as really, really good ones to ask? And I know that you worked for years um, in industry and you were on the other side of the table asking the questions. Um, Mm -hmm. So some of the best questions and maybe some of the hardest questions you've ever heard an interviewer ask, or maybe you ask them yourself. You know, um, Best, you know, so how is a question like the best? So I think the best questions are when the interviewer is asking something where they can really find out things about you that are important to them and to this position. And so it's things like your thought process, how you're going to handle different situations, you know, are you able to accept feedback and incorporate it? Meaning, are you coachable? Um, so frequently, and this, you know, goes back to the behavioral interview question. So frequently questions that deal with facing adversity, um, admitting mistakes and dealing with them, having Mm -hmm. difficult relationships, you know, I think those are really the best kinds of questions. And, you know, when I work with clients and doing interview prep, I, I, try to remind them, you know, what is the goal of the interviewer? The goal isn't to like trip you up and go, aha. She can't answer that question. You know, that's not their goal, right? What, the, what they're trying to figure out through all the questions they're asking you is really three things. Can you do the job? Do you want to do the job? And do I want to work with you? Meaning, do you fit with the team? And all the questions that they're asking you are really just to get to those, you know, three answers. So, you know, one of the things I suggest to people is to be as prepared as possible is to have them really own their resume, meaning that for every single bullet on your resume, you are able to explain very succinctly what you did, what you accomplished in a way that's relevant to that position. So I'll say, start with the, with the phrase, tell me about, and then the, whatever that bullet is on your resume. So it might be, tell me about the time you raised $100,000 at that nonprofit front fundraiser. And then being able to succinctly speak to that. And so I think the more that you can own everything on your resume, the better prepared you're going to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Got it. Um, and what about uh, those situations where well into the process, maybe they give you some questions. It's almost like homework. They'll say, okay, here's, here are two questions. Um, we want you to respond to these in 48 hours. Uh, Mm -hmm. is it better to respond in 24 hours? Is it like, what's the protocol on that? No, you know, it really doesn't matter. I mean, they give you 48 hours because they realize everybody's got a life and you can't necessarily drop everything and do it immediately. But, you know, the key is not to procrastinate and wait until the 47th hour and all of a sudden you get a technology problem or the, you know, the electricity goes out or, you know, something like that. So my suggestion would be, you know, that you get on it, you know, right away. You take a first stab at some answers. You walk away from it for a bit. 
And then you come back and you look at it and you finalize your answers. And, you know, you try not to second guess yourself and make yourself a crazy person. But, you know, and you get it well within that 48 hours. But no, it's not a race, you know. Okay, that's helpful. Um, And then what about the situation where you're asked to make a presentation? And Mm -hmm. I know this could be anything, but Mm -hmm. do you see that often? And like, can you give an example? Sure. Yeah, no, I think it's become more and more common. I mean, the the thing that I have found so intriguing uh, is just the interview process itself has become more and more complex over time. And, um, you know, doing presentations has definitely become more prevalent, especially for positions that may involve like sales or client management. Um, and, you know, here, so what is an employer looking for? They're looking for, you know, the clarity and the flow of a presentation. They're looking for, you know, are you able to stay high level as you present? But then if somebody asks you a question, you're able to drill down and give the detail. Um, are your thoughts well organized? You know, things like this. And so how does that maybe manifest itself, right? How might you have to make a presentation? Well, it could be, for example, it's not uncommon for somebody to say, why don't you come back to us with like a 30, 60 or 90 day plan on how you would, you know, we hire you, you come in, what are you going to do? And so they mm-hmm. want to see you know, how resourceful are you? What is your thought process? You know, how are you going to reach out and get to know all the players? You know, are you going to need a lot of handholding or are you going to be independent and sort of figure things out, you know, on yourself, by yourself? Um, employers may also periodically give you some materials and say, we'd like you to come back and present this to us. And so, again, it's just to see what is your presentation style and, you know, um, you know, did you understand the materials and th- those kinds of things. So it's definitely um, more uh, more prevalent these days. And it can be in a, in a number of different areas that wouldn't just happen to be sales presentations. Okay. Well, wow. There's so much to talk about on this topic. And I really appreciate you taking the time to get into some of the toughest interview questions and really give us some good uh, role playing and examples for how to respond. So uh, Mary Beth, before we um, sign off, uh, there's one question we ask all of our podcast guests, and that is, Mm -hmm. can you please Give us your best piece of advice for relaunchers, even if it's something that we already talked about during our conversation today. Hmm. Sure. Um, I, you know, I think that um, there's probably a couple of things that that just really, you know, jump into into mind. And um, they're sort of, you know, one of them is an overarching one over doesn't matter what aspect of the, the relaunch we're talking about. And that's about finding your confidence. And which is, you know, easier, you know, said than done. But if somebody Mm -hmm. is confident you're coming across that way to an employer, and if you believe you can do that job, they're going to start believing you can do that job. And so finding that confidence and, and, you know, in finding a job and returning to work and just knowing that you can do it, of course, you're going to question yourself periodically. That's human. Um, And but remembering like who you were when you were in the paid workforce, what you accomplished then, what you accomplished during your during your career break. And the second component to that is networking and reaching out to those former colleagues, even if it's been a while. You know, if you would be pleased to hear from them, 
they will be pleased to hear from you and they can help you build that confidence because that's who they remember. They remember, you know, the the Mary Beth that worked in that tough, you know, client project, the Mary Beth who, you know, got that angry client to, you know, be like a best buddy client. And they will remember things you have forgotten. And um, it's just a great way to help build your confidence, let people know you're returning to the workforce. And to be honest, it's fun to connect with old, you know, old colleagues. So, um, or I should say former colleagues, not old colleagues. Uh, so, you know, finding <laughs> your confidence and finding your network, you know, and networking are really, I think, two things for a successful relaunch. That's great advice and a great way to finish up. Can you tell our audience how they can find out more about Second Career Consulting? Sure. Um, My uh, website is secondcareerconsulting.com. It's 2ND and then careerconsulting.com. And I'm on LinkedIn, Mary Beth Barrett Newman. And to the best of my knowledge, I'm the only Mary Beth Barrett Newman on LinkedIn. Um, And that would be two great ways. And of course, you know, as, as a career coach on for uh, the wonderful iRelaunch group, um, I'm on the website as well. That's correct. Thank you. Yes, you can go to iRelaunch.com uh, and uh, look uh, under four relaunchers. And then we have a section on our coaching team and, and Mary Beth's profile there. So thanks for mentioning that. Uh, so thanks for joining us today. Uh, this is 321 iRelaunch, the podcast where we discuss strategies, advice, and success stories about returning to work after a career break. If you like this podcast, be sure to rate it on iTunes and your favorite podcast platform. And be sure to share this podcast with a friend on Facebook, Twitter, and other social media. Thanks for joining us.